thing, isn't it? We'd like to welcome you this morning, um, and those of you who are watching online, we'd like to welcome you as well, and just uh, let you know you can always comment and just let us know that you're, that you're watching. Um, we'd also like to ask you to reach out to the online host that we have available for you if you just want to connect or have any questions. Um, at this time, I'd just like to invite everyone just to stand this morning uh, as we prepare ourselves to go into a time of worship. I'd like to share out of John chapter 4, verse 21 through 23. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, this is the story of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And um, kind of a, a, a just a thing to keep in mind here is that Samaritans and Jews don't speak. Um, they don't communicate. They, they don't uh, converse with one another. And so this was a Samaritan woman, Jesus being a Jew. It's kind of an interesting situation. And so she's asking Jesus about... Uh, just um, uh, how the Jews only worship in Jerusalem and uh, how she worships in her home or in a temple. And so then he goes this. This is what Jesus replies to her. He says, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for the salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. What God's saying here is that he isn't looking for a particular type of worship, but he is seeking worshipers. A time has come where he's looking for worshipers. Worship as a whole is not just on a Sunday morning, church. But maybe this morning is the morning that you start worshiping your, your entire heart, your entire being. But worship as a whole is something that we do at all times. We're an example as we carry Jesus' name as being a Christian. But this morning, maybe that's where you start. Chaos. Who brings our chaos back into order? 
sing worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave amen worthy humblest of praises to him this morning. I'd like to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 56 through 57. It says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we have a new song to teach you. It's called Found in You. It's, it's all about just victory being in Jesus. Everything we need, everything we want, it's found in Jesus. In the song, the bridge of the song, it says, in your presence there is freedom. In your presence we are made whole. We believe that this morning. In all we want and all we need is found in you, found in you, Jesus, every victory is found Sing with us. And all we want and all we need is found in you, found in you, Jesus. Every victory is found in you, found in you. Every victory is found in you, found 
we lift up his name this morning. Father of kindness, Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. And give her mercy, you're my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing faithful. I will rest. I will rest in your promises. My confidence is your faithfulness. So I will rest in your promises. My confidence.
grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing. soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be 
forever ours. Father, we lift our praise to you this morning because you are worthy. You are worthy of our praise, Father. Our chains are gone, Father. We no longer walk as men bound by chains of depression and oppression and the darkness of this world. But we walk in the light. And we thank you, Father God, for the work that you've done in us in the work that you're doing through us. Father, I pray that this morning that you would be exalted, that you would hear the praises of your people. And that this morning, Lord, that you would open our ears and open our hearts to hear your word as your message comes forth. Father, continue to move in this place in a powerful way. We pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. We are so glad that you are with us uh, today. My name is Richard. I'm the lead pastor of Springbrook. And if this is your first time with us, whether you're in person or online, we want to extend a special welcome uh, to you. If you're watching online, be sure to say hello in the chat. We've got our online uh, host available for you to pray with you, answer any questions that you might have. And then if you're with us in person, we're glad you're here. You've got that connection card uh, that's in your seat. We just encourage you to take a few moments uh, during the service to fill that out. Let us know that you were here. If you have any questions, uh, we'd love the opportunity to connect with you in that way as well. You can also text here to that phone number. I don't know where the phone number went, <laughs> but if you've been texting here to Springbrook, uh, you can uh, text that um, as well. Hey, our Celebrate Recovery ministry is going to be kicking off, uh, not next week, but the following week on Tuesday. We have uh, probably about 12, 15 people uh, connected with that so far. I know our ladies have got a, uh, a group that's uh, kicked off. We've got some men that are uh, moving along with that uh, ministry as well. Uh, they're going to have a meet and greet kind of information gathering and a, and a dinner. And so if you want to know a little bit more about Celebrate Recovery or maybe you or someone you know is working through a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up, uh, they would like to invite you to come join them for dinner. You can uh, text, text CR to that phone number. You can visit our website. It's on our app. Uh, anything that we can do to help you get connected to that or answer any questions that you have, please just let us know. Uh, but be praying for that ministry. It's been really exciting to see how God has been working in and through the lives of people as they embrace the fullness of who they are uh, in Christ as they work through the obstacles uh, that they're facing uh, in life. And then I also wanted to let you know that next Sunday, in between the services, uh, Pastor Jeff and Kyle are going to be hosting a uh, meet and greet uh, for parents. And so if you are interested after the first service, you can make your way over that way. Uh, if you're at the uh, 11 o'clock service, if you come a little bit later, you can get a little bit early if you'd like. Uh, an opportunity to meet uh, Jeff and Kyle, answer any questions that you have. And I know next month they have a back-to-school meeting for parents as well. And so if you have not subscribed to our student ministry update, so you'll want to be sure to do that from the website um, as well. And then last, I just want to let you know, we had, uh, this was prayer first weekend. And uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, uh, we had two workshops. One was praying for and with your kids and grandkids. And then we had another workshop on praying for our neighbors. It was a prayer evangelism kind of workshop. And um, if you weren't there, I'm sorry, you missed it. <laughs> they were awesome workshops. 
Uh, we learned how to, uh, to pray for our kids, how to pray for one another, how to pray for our neighbors. And uh, uh, we've got some great resources that we'll make available uh, for you on our website as well. But I am so excited about what God was doing in and through uh, this ministry at Springbrook and for the opportunity we have to be a part together of what God wants to accomplish. And so I want to tell you about what a great workshop you missed if you weren't there. But for those that were there, we're grateful that you were there. We had a great time. Um, today we are continuing our Pray First weekend. Um, we have our guest speaker, Brian Mocha, who's vice president of uh, Converge uh, Ministries. And so he's going to come up in just a few moments. But I want to encourage you, and, and Brian's going to say this as well uh, while he's teaching. Uh, we have a, a, a concert of prayer this evening. It uh, starts, uh, starts at 5 o'clock, so that slide is wrong. And so it starts at 5 o'clock. It's going to go to 6.30. Um, we're going to have an hour and a half uh, concert of prayer. We're going to be having some teaching, some prayer time, and some fantastic worship. Our worship team uh, has uh, come together for that as well. And I just want to encourage you. I don't know what you're doing this evening, but you do not want to miss um, our concert of prayer this evening. And so we want to invite you to come back uh, at 5 o'clock this evening. I'm going to invite Brian uh, to come up now. Brian Moak, as I mentioned, is our vice president of church strengthening for uh, Converge Mid-America, Southeast Caribbean, and he's also my, my coach. And so Brian and I are in a coaching relationship this year, and I have so much appreciated uh, your leadership. Uh, we are a part of a conference of churches, uh, an affiliation of churches that are taking seriously uh, starting and strengthening churches. And so Brian's got the church strengthening uh, portion of that. Uh, I've known Brian, I, I, I said I said yesterday in our workshops, I know you for 20 years. It's only been seven. It feels it, like forever. It feels like 20. Yeah. <laughs> but I am so excited. Thank you for being with us this morning, uh, yeah. Brian. I'll be praying for you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thanks. Morning, Springbrook. Whoo, that was a good welcome right there. That was awesome. Uh, it's a steamy day today, but it ain't steamy in here. It's a wonderful morning to be in the house of the Lord together. I love Springbrook Church, and I know you're just going to say, yeah, that's what you're supposed to say because you get paid to say that. Um, it's, it's not true. I love Springbrook Church because I have been uh, very involved with you from the very beginning, and you didn't even know it. Um, my uh, in-laws... Rich and Nancy Massey were part of the original group that began meeting uh, and, and calling themselves Springbrook Church. And uh, so I've been following you all the way along. I knew you when you were in one of the schools you were in, and uh, I can't remember. Uh, and then I, I, I got a tour of this while it was being built, and, and uh, I have just uh, so much appreciated your ministry. It's been important in our family. And uh, so thank you for that. And I am so excited about what God is doing now and will continue to do. Um, I am so grateful to see Kyle up here. Uh, he and Jeff were at a thing we did uh, last week in Chicago called Next Steps. And I got to meet them and know them. Are you kidding me? Four staff positions in about six months? That's, that's unheard of. I'm like, what? how are you doing that? You know what we decided last night when we met as leaders? God did it. God did it. God answered the prayers of his people. And you need to celebrate that, yes. God is in the business of answering prayer. And that is such an amazing answer to prayer, to see how God has moved in, in really such a quick time. And so Praise the Lord for that. I'm so grateful for your pastor. And, and uh, not only have we become friends in seven, maybe 20 years, you know, whatever, but uh, um, he's, he's all in for us. 
in Converge Mid-America. And I, I love that. He's, he's one of our board members, so I got to be really nice to him, you know, so, uh, so he says good things to my boss. And, and, uh, but I love your pastor, and I know that your pastor loves you, and that's such a great thing. Such a great thing. And I know that your pastor wants to see men and women and boys and girls throughout Huntley and Lake in the Hills and Carpentersville and Algonquin. I mean, you guys are sort of in this hub of everything around here. And I know he wants to see so many people come to know and follow Jesus. Uh, What a great mission we get to be a part of as the bride of Christ. And so thank you. Uh, in advance for letting me be here. I do want to tell you, I'll say it again probably uh, before I'm done here this morning, but you want to come back tonight. I'm telling you what, I, I, I give you a money-back guarantee. I don't even know what that means for me, but I give you a money-back guarantee that you will not be bored tonight. I promise. And you say, oh, 90 minutes of prayer. Are you kidding me? That sounds horrible. Uh, it, you won't be bored. It will fly by as we pray and ask that God would move in a powerful way in our lives personally, that God would transform Springbrook Church in an increasing way, and that God would transform this community for the sake of his name. Can you imagine it? How awesome would that be? We, we want to put down a spiritual marker today on behalf of Springbrook Church and say, God, would you, this is the day when we prayed that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So I want to invite you to come back. Bring someone with you. I promise there will be nothing that will embarrass you tonight. We won't embarrass you personally. There won't be any embarrassment. It'll just be, and rumor has it uh, that the teaching tonight is going to come from God. Uh, rumor has it he's showing up. And uh, so, I mean, I, I, wish, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to come and, and, and see him. And uh, so, really, we just want to encourage you to come back. Let, let me pray as, as I begin here this morning from God's Word. Lord, thank you uh, for this day. Lord, every time we inhale and exhale, we're reminded that you care for us every second of the day. That without your sustaining grace and love that we've sung about this morning, uh, we're just done for. So we worship you as our providential, caring God. Lord, I, I, I thank you so much for this place. This place that has been a beacon for the gospel in this community for so many years. And I pray, God, that you would fan into flame this thing that you are doing here. That it would not be Springbrook that would be exalted, but God, that you would be exalted increasingly in this place. And God, as we open up your word right now, I pray that that I would decrease, you would increase, that we would not just get more information. We don't need it. We need transformation. And so, God, would you make us different? Holy Spirit, convict us today. Encourage us today that we might be more like Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's in his name that we pray. Amen, amen. My parents have best friends. They've had forever. Um, As a matter of fact, in a sense, they're kind of like my second parents. Uh, We've just, they've, it's my sister and I, and they've got two girls, and we've just been connected our whole lives. They come to our weddings, we go to their weddings, you get the idea. And so these best friends of my parents, they're Catholic, 
And I say that, you'll get the idea here in a second, but because we were so tight, we spent a ton of time together, and because we spent a ton of time together, uh, we spent a ton of time together eating, right? That's what we do. And uh, we ate a lot of meals together, and of course, before we would eat, we would pray. The Catholic kids, they would pray first. And they would pray their prayer in unison, and it went like this. Blessed, O Lord, for these thy gifts, which we are about to receive through your bounty, through Christ our Lord, amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. I'm telling you, they could say that prayer so fast, it was unbelievable. And so could I. I knew that prayer as well as they did because it was the exact same prayer every single time. So as a good Baptist kid, I kind of looked down my nose at the monotony of this unthinking prayer of our friends. And so they clearly weren't praying thoughtful prayers, right? So it was a Baptist kid's turn to pray and to make all things right. And unlike the rote version of our friend's prayer, our prayers were meaningful and personal. And and instead of praying in unison, we would pray one at a time. And usually my sister would go first, and then I would follow. And, And this is what she would pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. And then it was my turn, and because I was the older, more mature Christian brother, I would pray, thank you, Jesus, for this food and for this day. Amen. And guess what? We prayed that same prayer, monotonously, by the way, every single time. And I can promise you that our Catholic friends could even more easily recite our childhood prayers than we could recite theirs. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I am not criticizing simple praying. I'm actually going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. And I don't mean to criticize formulaic praying because I believe that Jesus gave us a formula for prayer. What I am trying to address is the difference between coming to the Lord in prayer as an act of worship or simply just going through the motions of prayer that neither connects our heart or our mind. Another way to say it is to ask the question, how many times have I really prayed? Take a look at this video. How many times have you prayed in your life? Now, I'm not asking how many lists you've made or how many religious instructions you've obeyed or how many games of guilty Christian you've played or how many public speeches you've relayed or how many recitations you've portrayed. I'm asking, how many times have you prayed? How many times have you cried, whimpered, sighed, whispered, tried to listen, died and risen? How many times have you approached God honestly 
asking for nothing but got everything, had everything to hide but hid nothing, said not a word but spoke endlessly, never opened your eyes but saw eternity. How many times have you reached inside yourself so deeply that you pulled out something you didn't recognize? How many times have you approached your maker, not as who you want to be, not as who you wish you were, not as who you think you are, not as who you ought to be, but just as you are, with all the dirt that covered you when God first fell in love with you. How many times have you run to your lover for passion, your provider for rations, your father for lessons, your instructor for lashings? Oh, how many times have you prayed for your God's ear it waits for one drop of confession, one honest expression, one wild connection? Don't approach the living God with dead prayers, but come to him when your lifeless prayers are dead and the spirit on your tongue is dripping with life. Then every syllable you speak will be a divine trade. Your mouth will leak with the flood of praise that you've made. Then the number you seek will be far too high to be weighed, and you'll never be able to answer the question, how many times have you prayed? This morning, I want us to address this question. How many times have we prayed? And hopefully give us all some direction that will increase the temperature of our prayer life. That's, that's the deal. That, that we would increase our desire and passion for prayer. Maybe increase our discipline for prayer or our ability even in prayer. That's the goal here this morning. And so the first thing we need to talk about as we deal with this issue is that prayer ought to be one of our highest priorities. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, I urge you then, Timothy, first of all, do you see that? First of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Paul's reminding us that prayer is absolutely essential for our life and for our work, for our ministry. You just go down the line. Prayer needs to be absolutely our first job before we do anything else. I read a really important book for me uh, several years ago, and it was entitled Margins. It was written by a guy by the name of Dr. Richard Swenson. And his thesis in that book is that our culture is so busy that we don't have any margin in our life. And he defines margin as the space between our load, that is the things we're doing, and our limits, that's our ability to do those things. So for instance, if you're getting six hours of sleep a night and your body needs eight hours of sleep a night, well, you don't have any physical margin. You got, you got to figure that out unless you have newborn kids. If you make $1,000 a week and you're living on $1,100 a week, well, guess what? You don't have any financial margin. You're living in what he calls overload. And you can go on and on and on. Well, you see, the problem in our society is that we take a certain pride in not living in margin. And I can tell you how it happens. We see someone and we say to them, hey, how you doing, Rich? Uh, uh, and Rich says to me, I'm picking on Rich right now, Rich says to me, I'm doing great, I'm really busy. In which we respond back, yeah, I'm doing great too, I'm really busy too. And we leave that little encounter with a certain level of pride that somehow being busy is a good thing. 
I think that's stinking thinking. It's bad theology. Because although hard work is necessary and good, this living in constant overload without margin as busy people, well, it's just not a good thing. And in my experience, one of the first things that goes by the wayside when I'm living in this life of overload is my relationship with Christ. I don't have time to invest in my relationship with Christ. And even more specifically, the earliest place I see that neglect is in my prayer life. But the crazy thing is, the paradox in all of that is exactly because of the myriad of activities, because of the responsibilities and the relationships that we have, we need to be about prayer first. Martin Luther was quoted as saying, I have so much business, I can't get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. John Wesley, the great pastor, devoted two hours daily to prayer. By the way, this was a guy who preached two to three times a day, seven days a week. Adoniram Judson, one of the greatest missionaries of all time, withdrew from the business of the day seven times a day for prayer. First at dawn, then at nine, twelve, three, six, nine, at midnight. I'm telling you what, these people were busy people. But they knew that without making prayer a first priority, the rest of the business of the day wouldn't be effective. So what about you? What about me? I, I don't know about you, but I, I look at these quotes and I say, yeah, but these guys, these are giants of the faith. I mean, they actually wrote books and stuff. I'll never be like that. I'm not even sure I want to be like that. Or I look at that and I say, I just want to throw in the towel because I'm never going to be able to do that kind of praying like they did. I, I admit, I find myself far from these sorts of standards, if you will. And instead of them being encouraging to me, I look at them and say, I am just not anywhere where I need to be. But here's what I got to remember. I'm always in a journey in prayer, right? I'm always growing in my relationship with Christ. And so I would expect that over time, I'm going to be a whole lot further in my prayer journey than I am today. The devotional author Richard Foster said, Occasional joggers do not suddenly enter an Olympic marathon. They prepare and train themselves over a period of time, and so should we. When such a progression is followed, we can expect to pray a year from now with greater authority and spiritual success than at present. So we can all go, ah, we're on a journey, a prayer journey in our relationship with Christ. But prayer has to be of first importance to us. And I would go so far as to say that prayer is essential for spiritual success. Number two, Prayer ought to come out of a healthy desperation. And this word, healthy desperation, is a phrase that I learned for, from a dear friend of mine. And, and it's the recognition that while nothing is impossible with God, apart from Christ's presence and power in our lives, nothing of kingdom value is going to be gained. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do very much. And apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. 
I didn't really understand this idea of praying with a healthy desperation until I had kids. <laughs> and just like you, I worry about my kids. And that worry seems only to have intensified when they have become adults. And now they're married, and now I've got grandkids to worry about. And when something difficult is going on in their lives, it's pretty easy for my wife and I to come before the Lord with a healthy desperation to intercede on their behalf. But I've got to tell you, there's some pretty long seasons in life when things are going pretty well. The kids are good, the grandkids are good, the job's good, the marriage is good, relationships are good. It's when this good peace happens that I tend to lose this healthy desperation and urgency for prayer. And this praying with a healthy desperation says, we must have you, Lord. If we want our lives to count for Christ and his kingdom, if we believe that fruitfulness only comes by his grace in us, and if we truly believe that apart from him we can do nothing, then we've got to become increasingly desperate for his presence. And by the way, that same healthy desperation for prayer needs to be in our churches as well. Back in about 1997, 98, somewhere in there, I know I don't look like I could even have been born by then, but I discovered a book back then that changed my life. And it was called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by a pastor named Jim Cimbala, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm telling you what, I read that book and I became convinced that without a corporate, healthy desperation for prayer, our churches are powerless. And so shortly after reading that book, uh, a group of six of us from our church uh, in Ohio decided to take a trip to New York City to visit and attend the Tuesday night prayer meeting at Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I'm telling you what, I've never been a part of anything like it in my life. And the experience changed me, and it changed the people who went with me, and changed our church. As the six of us saw about 2,000 people, can you imagine? 2,000 people gather on a Tuesday night just to pray. And they didn't go through some sort of just prayer motions. These people prayed with a healthy desperation. There were times that the praying was more like a cacophony of sound, a sort of wailing as people were brought to the throne room to plead with God to move. So we came back to our church and we were determined that we wanted to be a praying congregation. And our Wednesday night prayer meetings changed from being 45 minutes of Bible study, 10 minutes of prayer requests, and 5 minutes of prayer. I know no one else has been in a prayer meeting like that. To 45 minutes of, of prayer and worship and 10 to 15 minutes of a prayer-targeted devotion. Coincidentally, God moved powerfully as we saw prayer answered through transformed lives, uh, we saw physical healing take place. We saw increased church health and growth. And it seemed that the more emphasis that we put on prayer, the more that God seemed to move. We actually had people coming from the community to our prayer meeting on Wednesday nights because they had heard that God was answering prayer in our midst. But after a few years, we began to lose our desperation for prayer like we had before. We got too busy. The church was growing, and we had a lot of stuff going on, and we got distracted by the business of the church. 
And it became palpable how the spiritual climate began to change in what I would say was a negative way. Symbolist says this, he says, The devil is not terribly frightened of our human efforts and credentials, but he knows his kingdom will be damaged when we begin to lift up our hearts to God. So Springbrook Church, you must pray with healthy desperation if you want to see real spiritual transformation take place. Third, we need to expect God to move when we pray. One of my favorite Bible passages in all of Scripture comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. You probably are familiar with the story. And, and, and it goes like this. The, Peter had been uh, put in prison for preaching the gospel, and his followers had been meeting together uh, to pray for him. Okay, and, and, and in Acts chapter 12, verses 12 through 16, it starts with this. When this had dawned on him... That is, Peter recognizing his miraculous rescue from prison. If you recall the story, he's in prison, the doors miraculously open, he walks out, nobody even notices. <laughs> Pretty cool story. And so after he, it dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They were praying for him. God, would you please uh, rescue Peter? And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening. Can you imagine? Knock, 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 open the door. Ah, it's Peter! She shuts the door and goes and runs back. And she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And with all the faith these prayers could muster, they said, you must be out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting, no, Peter really is here, they said, well, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking. Can you imagine? Oh, he's just going like this. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. How often are we surprised when God actually answers our prayers? Or worse, how often do we forget our prayers so that when God actually answers them, we don't even remember to celebrate his faithfulness? I mean, we know that prayer is an act of worship, so we pray not because of a feeling or a demand for God to move, you know, like, like getting out of the vending machine what we put the quarter in to get. We pray out of the abundance of our love relationship with him. But we also need to pray with expectation. We need to assume that God is going to move. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. He says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Friends, we shouldn't be surprised like Peter's friends were when God actually answers our prayers. And so we need to pray with such expectation that we're confident that when we pray, God is going to move. So, prayer needs to be one of our highest priorities. It needs to be done with healthy desperation for him to move, and it needs to be done with an expectation that he actually is, in fact, going to move so the last question we need to answer is then well how in the world do we do it 
I get the importance of it. Now, how do we do it? How do we get better at praying with this healthy desperation? How do we get better at praying with this expectation? How do we move from feeling inadequate in our prayer lives to feeling confident and capable as praying people? I love the fact that the disciples had the very same question of Jesus. I mean, although they had been taught in the synagogue their whole lives how to pray, somehow when they heard Jesus praying, they knew that they were missing something. And so in Luke chapter 11, after the disciples heard Jesus pray, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15, we find an expanded account of how Jesus responded to him. And he, he starts in verse 5 in Matthew chapter 6, and he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The passage actually begins with how not to pray. There's these two groups of people uh, that, that he's giving as an example. And the first group is called the hypocrites. And the hypocrites were people who just prayed for show. They, they were the spiritual leaders that everybody wanted to look at. And say, Aren't they amazing? And the street corners were wide and well-traveled. And these people made sure that everyone heard uh, them when they prayed. And that their words would make those around them stand in awe at their spirituality. Oh, aren't they just so amazingly spiritual? Listen to how they pray. Jesus said, don't be like them. There's another group called the pagans. And the pagans, they just babbled. They, they, they had a lot of words, but they had this sort of vague spirituality. Jesus says, don't pray like them either. Jesus, in essence, is saying in these verses that prayer is neither to impress God nor man, especially since God already knows so completely what, what uh, all of our needs. He knows before we even ask. We need to remember that prayer is relationship. It, it is our union with God. Someone is quoted as saying, power in prayer is not measured by the clock. One of the best prayers that I ever heard was from a new believer at a prayer meeting who began like this, Lord, you know I'm not very good at this, but dot, 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 dot. Or kids, kids are the best prayers. They're not trying to be anything, they're just talking to God. We need to pray like that. Jesus goes on then to explain the kind of prayers that we should be praying. It's, it's a formula, if you will. Remember, I said I was going to get to that. 
a formula for praying rightly. And it begins with our relationship with God. It says, our Father in heaven. Man, we could just spend days on those, on those four words. Our Father in heaven. That word, our, Christ wasn't speaking just for himself. He could have said, my Father, and would have been totally appropriate. But he was including in that word, our, he was including the disciples, and guess what? He was including us in that as well. That word, Father, it connects us relationally, doesn't it? He's not some uninterested God who just sort of started things off and then said, good luck to you. He's Father. And in, Arab, in, in Arabic, that, Aramaic, that word Father is Abba, which is, a, which is a term of affection for an earthly father. Our Father in heaven. Just so we're clear, this Father is like no other Father. He's the king of the universe, the creator of everything we see and will never see. And his realm is in the heavenlies. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This Father deserves to be hallowed, which means to be revered, to be regarded as holy by us and in fact by everyone the world over. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're reminded to thank God for his relationship with us. We're his. We're his kids. How amazing. Thank you, Lord, that we are yours. And thank him for the fact that he established that relationship. And then as we pray that, we want to commit ourselves afresh to living in the reality of that relationship. We are his kids. Second, we pray with a kingdom mentality. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are essentially praying, Lord, may your kingdom reign impact more people in our community. May your kingdom reign transform uh, uh, people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And may your kingdom's will and reign have a greater and greater impact and influence in our culture and society. Don't we need that? And then someday, Lord God, when we see you face to face, your kingdom will be perfect. Can't you wait for that day? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine our lives if God's kingly reign invaded every aspect of it? Can you imagine Springbrook Church? Can you imagine Huntley? Can you imagine our nation, the whole world, with God's kingly reign invading it all? May it be so, Lord. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next, God invites us to bring our requests covering our two most basic needs. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who sin against us. Author and professor Scott Haifman wrote, Many things we call needs we could really get along without. But there are two things we can't live without. Food and forgiveness. 
Now the food part we get because it's in this spot that we ask God to meet most of our basic needs. And quite frankly, they're the prayers that we most often bring to God. Lord, we need money to pay the gas bill and our account is empty. Or, 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 or Lord, my car is shot and I can't seem to find anything I can afford. Or, or God, I have a test tomorrow to, and I haven't studied. Would you please miraculously give me the answers? Isn't it interesting that in the prayer, Jesus doesn't ask the Father for steak and lobster, <laughs> but for bread, daily bread? Not even tomorrow's bread, just enough for today. Remember that weird food the Israelites got, that manna stuff? It was just enough for a day at a time. So give us this day our daily bread says, God, would you take care of today and I'll trust you for tomorrow. The second basic need of this prayer is the difficult one. (laughs) Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, the first half is easy, because we want our sins forgiven, right? But you mean to tell me I've got to forgive others' sins as well to me? (laughs) Now, Now you're just meddling, God. But verse 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Here's the reality. We can't pray with effectiveness, with unconfessed sin personally, or an unforgiving heart toward others. George Mueller, one of the greatest prayers of all time, says this, but if you live in sin, that is habitual, willful sin, habitually doing things which you know are contrary to the will of God, then you cannot expect God to hear you. What Mueller is saying basically is we've got to keep short accounts with God and with each other. I'm going to say something really controversial here. There is nothing that anyone has done to you that gives you the freedom or the right to have an unforgiving heart. Let me say it one more time. There is nothing that anyone has done to you that gives you the freedom or right to have an unforgiving heart. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not talking about forgetting. I'm not talking about the necessity of the restoration of an abusive or a destructive relationship. That's a whole other issue and a whole other sermon. But the scripture is clear that our relationship with God through prayer is directly connected to our relationship with others. So when we come to this part of the prayer, we need to say, Lord, is there anyone I've refused to forgive? We need to ask God to lead us in extending forgiveness so that our prayers won't be hindered. And it's not something we can do in our own strength. The Holy Spirit gives us the power and ability to do just such a thing. Number four, prayer is essential in daily spiritual warfare. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I hope you know that we're in a daily fight of faith. We're in a spiritual battle. We have an actual enemy, and his name is called the devil, Satan. And by the way, he's not simply trying to make us miserable. Lord, protect us from the mischief of the evil one. He's not interested in mischief. He's interested in destruction. He wants to destroy us as followers of Christ, and he's going to do anything he can do to do just that. 
pastor in Kent Hughes says, no one is above falling. No one is above shelving his or her faith, family, and heritage. No one is above yielding to temptation. And that is so true. And the truth of this prayer might be restated this way. Lord, would you please protect me from temptations beyond what I can bear? Make your escape routes clear. Don't let Satan get to me. Charles Spurgeon, maybe the greatest pastor of all time, said this. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness of prayer. He's exactly right. The point of this quote and really this entire message is that we need to pray. Without it, we're just simply an organization doing stuff. Rather than a living, breathing organism that is fed and nourished and growing. So Springbrook Church, you you need to pray. You need to pray not just at prayer meetings. You need to pray at every worship team practice. At every Bible study. At every Sunday school class. At every small group. At every ministry team meeting. As a matter of fact, you need to interrupt your gatherings with prayer. You should see people praying in the hallways or all the time in the front of your auditorium. There should be people just constantly in this attitude of prayer. People should ask, what, what are these people doing? Oh, they're just praying. It happens all the time around here. You need to, as a church, pray continuously. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Because it's only then that you can be assured that it's God that's moving in your midst. You know, my job is to see churches strengthen. It's the best gig I've ever had. Because of that, I got a lot of books on my shelf that help churches to think more strategically, uh, to lead more effectively, to reach out to non-Christians more regularly. They're all good things, most of them at least. But my deepest desire is that we'll never forget the most effective way to strengthen our churches. And that is to pray. To pray first. To pray with healthy desperation. And to pray expecting that God would move. Amen? Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for being the God who listens. And thank you for being the God who answers. We're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed with your love. We're overwhelmed with the fact that you know us so well. God, I pray for myself. This is just one of those messages where I've got one finger pointed out and three pointed back at me. God, would you make me a more disciplined and passionate prayer? I love to talk. But Lord, I need to talk to you more. And I need to listen more. And so I pray for each person here in this room. I pray for each person that's watching online. Oh God, would you make us a praying people? Would you make us a praying people individually and also would you make us a praying people as a church? That we would see you do remarkable things that only you can take the credit for. God, make us prayers. Make us prayers for you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Please stand.
Father, praise you this morning. Glory and honor to you. We lift you up, Father, for what you're doing in our lives, for the relationship that you've kept with us. God, for making the ultimate sacrifice, for not being afraid of the cross, but welcoming it, God, knowing that it was the only way that we could be in an intimate relationship with you, Father can know us and we can know you we thank you father pray this in your name amen we thank you for joining us this morning for our corporate time of worship and our corporate uh, uh, time of uh, a message and sermon this morning we encourage you just to go in love and peace to serve our God but we'd also like to just remind you that we do have that concert of prayer tonight at 5 p.m. I got to, as Brian mentioned, I got to spend a little bit of time with him last week, and it was so beneficial. We didn't even have that much time together. But he's been here this weekend. He's done some workshops yesterday. Of course, preached this morning on, on the importance of prayer and how we can do that better. But this is something that really strikes home with me, is that if you want to get better at something, more intentional about something, the first step is making time for it. So I encourage you tonight, maybe you've got plans Maybe you're meeting friends, going out to dinner. Bring it here. Bring them here. Bring your families here. Make time for it so that prayer becomes an intentional part of your lifestyle. So that it can work in tandem with our our personal worship, our personal studies. Amen? Alrighty, go in peace, the love and serve our God.